Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben, and welcome back to another... <laughs> Did I get you with that one? <laughs> I didn't know we were like starting off with like the NPR-style podcast. I, just, yes, it, it just hit me. me. I thought, why don't, we, why don't we test out an NPR-style intro and see how it goes? Well, if I don't do it the same way, I get messages. People like send me messages. They're like, you didn't do the intro and the outro right. What's going on? So uh, maybe it's a bad idea to go all NPR. I feel like if you nail the outro, people should actually be mad about that. I think it's actually like better when stuff happens in the outro that just gets a little bit unhinged. Like to me, that's the that's the excitement of ending the show. You mean like you mean like every outro I've done this this year just totally unhinged? Well, I also kind of like the fact that like sometimes we'll end the show, but then we have like a boat like a phantom segment. It's like what random thing can we talk about here? You know, I like that. I kind of you're maybe teasing it a little too much. I feel like it's an Easter egg that only only those who go past like do you remember back in the day I used to put Easter eggs after the credits in the in the YouTube videos? I would just slip in a little slip in a little extra play there at the end. I'm going to be honest with you, there were a couple times where you were like, "Did you see that play at the end of the video?" and I'm like, I'm the guy that that moves on as yeah. soon as the the credits start. I I started watching actually in the most recent ones. I started watching all the way to the end because I I started realizing that I'm like, oh, you actually are putting stuff in the end there. So you know, I'm there. I think you have to let people know there's an Easter egg. Like if you're the MCU, like people have to get excited about what goes on after the credits. And then if you don't have it, like it's it's going to screw everything up. So I, I think the information has to get out there first. Is it an Easter egg if you tell people? It's an Easter egg. That's today's philosophy question for you to pack into your pipe. Cody, uh, there's been some exciting basketball taking place. We got like 10 games in. We have a nice little sample. You've lifted your stats moratorium. I'm just taking a look here at our our board for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. The Celtics look good. The Sixers look good. The Nuggets look good. The Timberwolves look good. Is Dallas... For real, we, we we have to sort out where these teams belong. The, okay. <laughs> Stat, stats moratorium done. Sure. But there's something... I, I want to know if you know this off the top of your head, because it's still... It's driving me a little bit crazy when I'm looking at a lot of the team-level numbers. So we look at the top of the league, offensively at least, and I think defensively it's kind of the same thing. You know, Dallas, as a team, <laughs> as a team, their offensive rating is 123 right? Indiana Pacers. 123. That's a lot. (laughs) Indiana Pacers, 122.6. Because we all knew the Pacers would have a 120 offensive rating. Uh, The 76ers have a 120 plus offensive rating. But Ben, here's here's where it starts. I don't know. It hurts a little bit. There are multiple teams that have less than 109 offensive rating. So like the range between it all is just like so skewed, and I don't I don't recall like that much of a range before from the wor- the top of the league to the bottom of the league. Is this something that like am I wrong about it? Last year was this this was there this much of a gap, or at the beginning of the season are we going to start seeing it like close together? I I don't know. That's the one statistical thing that's bothering me right now. How many of the teams with a one oh one oh nine offensive rating or less come from the city of Los Angeles? That's what I want to know. <laughs> the answer, Ben, is zero. Oh, no. Re- the Lakers got, got over 109? Oh, they got 110.3, baby. Oh, wow. Yeah. 110.3. One oh. <laughs> and what's league average? Like 113? I don't need, This is my point. The le- Yeah, it's 113. But league average is like so weird right now because like, I don't know. I'm looking at like the 76ers or the Timberwolves, I think. And it's like, are they really going to have a defense that's 10 points better than league average? 
at the end of the season. Like, the data is just so strange to me right now. So it's still hard for me to look at the team-level data and take really anything away from it. Obviously, there's like a trend because we're an eighth of the way through the season already. So it's like, okay, part of this at least has to be real. But still, that gap, that range is still, it's throwing me for a loop, Ben. I, I think it has to do with the small sample. Uh, I mean, last year, at a similar point in the season, it was like, the best team was around 119. I think it was the Celtics started really well. So m maybe not these 120 numbers that you're seeing. But the Los Angeles teams last year were at the bottom of the league in the same time frame after 10 or 11 games. They were like 104, 106. So that's a that's a 15 or 16 point spread, which I think is pretty similar. Would you say we have a 17 point, 18 point spread right now? Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's probably something to do with sample size. Uh, I don't expect multiple teams to be 10 points ahead of the league average in offensive rate. I mean, the, the Pacers and the Mavs right now are like plus 10. League average yeah. is around 113 points per 100. And and I just want to say, Cody, I, I said in the in the preseason show, I said a lot of things that were all wrong. OK, but I did say, watch out. The Pacers are a sneaky little bunch with Rick Carlisle, and they kind of have a very cool, like, Sacramento Kings East light vibe going. They like to run similar actions. They like to involve these, like, three-man bunch Spain pick and rolls in the middle of the paint. They love to send all their wings sprinting out to the three-point line early in the shot clock to shoot threes. Buddy Heald and uh, your favorite player, Rookie Nemhart, who's no longer a rookie. We'll have to call him by his real name, Andrew Nemhart. Um, but no, I mean, guys like Buddy Heald, Ben Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton is always looking to set those players up. They also have um, uh, multiple players that will will shoot the three. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're a sneaky good offensive team, but the defense isn't there. Jalen Smith of the Indiana Pacers. Yes, Jalen Smith, yes. Have you, have you looked at his stats? <laughs> have you looked at his small sample size stats yet for the what season? Happened? What did he do? So he is currently in, what is it, like 142 minutes, it looks like. He's averaging 23 points per 75, mm -hmm. a plus 24 relative truth. Nothing. That's, that's so, absolutely nothing. I see that number, and I'm like, all right, that has to contribute like at least a point or two in terms of their offensive rating. But they're really fun because they have like this weird, totally spaced out thing, even like Obi Toppin coming there. Like, I didn't see him as being a guy that's just going to stand in the corner and shoot lots of threes. Uh, he had a huge, like, a huge dunk, I think, against the 76ers. So he's still got like that lob threat, but he's a dude that likes to stand behind and shoot a lot of threes. So I just think the all-out, five-out spacing, and then the complete selling out the like early 2000s Mavericks where they're like hey we're just going to go all offense and no defense the Pacers are definitely giving me that kind of vibe because yeah they are frisky they're definitely frisky offensively Ben <laughs> they are not frisky defensively Ben uh, so I think that's a really interesting gambit and I don't know if they'll be able to turn that around and I don't know if they want to turn that around okay let's get serious let's okay. let's try to sort out around this time of year I think every year now that we've done this what is this, like our sixth, sixth year? I've completely lost track of time. Um, but it's time. I think it's time for us to, to check in with the league and figure out, like, where are we kind of roughly seeing these teams? Cody has a term that we use around here, the inner circle contenders. That's our serious championship contenders. Then we have a group that's kind of on the outside, usually. Then we have good teams that are interesting and frisky, and then you know, playoff teams. And we're trying to just sort out the small sample madness. Like, for instance, are the Houston Rockets actually going to finish with the fourth seed 
in the Western Conference. So I assume I'm gonna I'm gonna make some assumptions here, which mm-hmm. you know doesn't go well. I'm gonna assume you have the Celtics as an inner circle championship contender, and I'm gonna assume you have the Nuggets as an inner circle championship contender. Both of those teams have the pedigree. They have the lineup on paper. They look good when you watch them, and they have crushed the league to start the year. Both those teams have great metrics up and down the board. Do you want to put anyone else in your inner circle championship contender group right now? Okay, so let, let's let's get uh, philosophical here. Let's define some things. Is it is it going to be the question I asked you earlier? I don't even know what you asked me earlier. What you asked me earlier? <laughs> I asked you a philosophical question earlier, and I told you to put it in your pipe and smoke it remember well now we're gonna pass that pipe right back here um i straight up don't even remember the question i don't remember the question either all right let's go so when you say inner circle contending team are you are you thinking like fast forward to june and this team is holding the championship trophy are you surprised like is that kind of what you're thinking with the inner circle talk, yeah, I think so. I mean, you you created the the term, so uh, I th- I think that sums it up. This is a team that you uh, on your short list, as you said, you're you're envisioning them being a team that can easily win in June. Yeah. Okay. I think right now, those are the only two teams actually in the inner circle. There might be a couple like bubble teams that yep. need to prove it a little bit more, but those are the only two teams that are like solidly in the circle right now. Is that okay. how you feel? That's exactly how I feel. Hey. So we'll just table them. We'll put a little pin in them. We'll get back to them when more interesting stuff happens. The cool. bubble teams is where it starts to get fun right now, I think, Cody. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically like, who's really legitimately very good? Not legitimately good in the sense that they could have a nice seed and they could maybe win a playoff round. Like, who else is knocking on the door for when we come back in a month, we go, of course, of course, they have to be included in this conversation. We, we have more than two teams that are championship contenders this year. Who are some of these other teams for you? Well, I think one of the, the first teams we have to talk about here, are, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't I, know how much we want to talk about them today, but they are on an absolute tear this year so far. I think so. I think so. I think we have uh, more stuff to get to with Philly later on. So we will also put a little pin in them and come back to them. But Philly is definitely a team that I think is very, very good. And the questions we'll have to address when we circle back to them is, can this be a team? I mean, will they make a move in the midseason? What's going to happen with Kelly Oubre's situation? Kelly Oubre, for those who missed it, was unfortunately in an accident. He was hit by a car and he has some injuries. And he's okay, but he's going to miss a significant amount of time. They hope or they say it's not season-ending. Uh, but it will be a significant amount of time because there's some broken bones and things like that. So they have to kind of sort out, continue to sort out their lineup. I don't know what they're going to look like in January or February, but I think the short of it is with Philly, you have Embiid, you have Tyrese Maxey, and you have Nick Nurse as a new coach. And the things they've done with the roster are really strong. Um, I would definitely put them in this next group. I'm not ready to move them up into the inner circle contender. Probably depth is a big thing that I want to see with them going forward. But yeah, that's where I am on Philly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's, I mean, Tyrese Maxey just dropped his first 50-piece of his career, I think, like yesterday. And I, I only watched a bit of that game, but uh, it looks like he's developing as a, as a handler 
It looks like he's developing as a decision maker. Uh, he's able to just move a little bit quicker without Harden there and new coaching there. So I think there's some really interesting changes there. But like you said, like once we get to the playoffs, if a team's able to, you know, you have like the Brooklyn Nets out there and they're like, we're just going to double team Embiid anytime he exists on the court. Like, is Maxi going to be able to figure that out? And even if they're able to scheme for a way that they can like take out both of them or really defend both of them well, what other guys on the 76ers are dangerous? So I think there's, like you just said, there's still some questions in terms of the third guy that's going to step up, the fourth guy. Because I think like defensively, I really like their defensive personnel. And I might, even though the statistics right now are pointing towards an offense that's stronger, I might like the defensive ecosystem more than the offensive ecosystem. That's probably a really early uh, thought process on them right now, but that's just kind of where I'm leaning towards right now. So offensively, I want to see how the other guys are able to step up. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, next team uh, for me that's potentially in this group that's very interesting to think about right now is your hometown team, sort of, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm. They have started the season 7-2. and two. They have the best defense in the league by a mile. We will continue to monitor this situation. We might have some deep dive video content on it coming up in the future. Uh, but just for perspective, we talked about that 113 league-wide offensive rating. Timberwolves giving up 103 points per 100 possessions. That is 10 points better than the league. Off the top of my head, if that holds, that'll be the best defense, best relative defense in NBA history. But it, it's a small sample. We see starts like this all the time. I think the thing to know here, as we talked about last episode with the Defensive Player of the Year candidates, is they are pretty loaded defensively. I think it's legit. Anthony Edwards coming on gives them uh, a little more punch in general on offense. But also I'm thinking about transitioning from being a young team to a more veteran team. Kyle Anderson getting good minutes. You know, you just have the ability to win close games. And we've already seen that. The the rock fight that they had with the Celtics recently that went into overtime and Anthony Edwards taking over the game in overtime. So I they look like a very strong team to me. Very legit. Again, I wouldn't put them in the inner circle crew. But I think this is a team that, you know, at the end of the year, looks like they might be one of the five or six best teams in basketball. So they're right in this next group for me right now. And just for context, I'm pretty sure you just said they're 10 points better than league average on defense. The 2004 Detroit Pistons, after the Rasheed Wallace trade, <laughs> I think for the rest of that season, they were like 12 points better. Yeah, than no, league that's average. not fair. There was only half a year with the with the with after the trade and then the deadline or whatever. But yeah, that's the but gold standard. I still think it's important to show that like they're, they're sort of approaching that ballpark, right? They're sort of approaching it, but they're still like a couple points off from like a full-blown Rasheed Wallace Pistons post-trade. Let me ask you something about the the. Timberwolves then 
why, if they, you know, we talked last time, they have some of the best defensive personnel. They have our current defensive player of the year pick. Uh, we both really like Jaden McDaniels on defense. Like you said, Kyle Anderson's just brilliant everywhere. I love the man. Uh, why are they not an inner circle team for you right now? Well, I think it's that deep playoff. You know, I've talked about this before. The difference between winning two playoff series in the NBA playoff tournament and four it is a big level, especially if you have a high seed. Because what it means is you can beat a low seed or a play-in team and you can beat a four or five seed or something like that with home court, maybe a three seed if the three seed isn't that strong. But when you get to the final four, typically you're playing the other championship contenders. And I don't yet see a strong reason to believe that in a playoff setting, Minnesota's constructed, they have the roster, they have the experience, whatever you want to say to really be considered like neck and neck with some of those teams they would they would see down the stretch. But I mean if you wanna if you wanna push back and and make the case, I'm all ears. No, I really don't want to make the case. I think defensively, I I think that their defense should be able to hold up. I know there's been a lot of clowning of Rudy Gobert in the playoffs. I don't foresee that sort of thing happening again in the playoffs just because of the personnel that's around them. But offensively, and I know right now their offense is a little bit negative. I think they're a point worse than league average uh, in terms of offensive rating. But when it comes down to a playoff series, let's say conference semifinals, let's say conference finals, if they happen to make it that far, I don't right now trust either Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards at a high level decision making sort of situation. So I'm even thinking about that Celtics game. And I think there's a chance that like if they replay that again, the Timberwolves probably should have and easily could have won in regulation. And I think a big part of what pushed them to be so close that they went to overtime is Anthony Edwards sometimes get the, gets the hero ball thing in his head. You know, he goes in, he's going to like, oh, 17 minutes, uh, 17 minutes, 17 seconds on the shot clock. I'm going to pull from 19 feet away or I'm going to back down and take this, this turnaround, right? Because when he gets like a head start, and he gets downhill, he's one of the most unstoppable players. But sometimes he's just like, I need to take this jump shot. And sometimes Towns, we've seen this in the playoffs a few times, He re- like he's the captain of getting in his head during a game, right? He starts getting angry, and he throws these, like, like he's a softball player, Ben. Like, he, he, like, curls it like a bowling ball and, like, whips it underhand. And it's just, like, the angrier he gets, the more, like, wild those passes get. So both of those guys right now, I think, still need to show me some maturation in terms of decision-making on offense. And that, to me, that's the those are the two main things holding me back from uh, really thinking they're contenders. Okay, I, I buy that. Do we have another team here that you would put in this fringe candidate group? What about, uh, what do you think about the best offense in the league? What do you think about the, the Dallas Mavericks? Well, boy, that's a good question. I I think the Mavericks are good. Here's the thing. The offense last year was not the problem, right? Two years ago, they went to the uh, conference finals in the Western Conference. And that was a sort of interesting construction for a team. Maybe this goes back to my point about two-round teams versus four-round teams. They had a matchup with Phoenix that I thought was a good matchup for them. They were able to come back and win a very close series. They were punchy. They were feisty. They offered some particularly resilient 
sort of approaches to offense with Luka Doncic. And at that point in time, you had Jalen Brunson and you had Spencer Dinwiddie. So you had like multiple ball handlers, multiple point guards, and these three and D guys. Maxi Kleba had a, a huge role in that in that run as a defender and then as a pick and pop big man. You mentioned Rudy Gobert, able to stretch the floor and space the floor against a rim protector like that in their playoff series. So you fast forward to last year. To me, Cody, they just ran out of bodies. They ran out of big men. They ran out of defenders. They were already playing small. Kleba is already on the small side for some of those lineups. Dorian Finney-Smith playing like center is almost micro ball. Then they traded him to Brooklyn. So if you look at the numbers last season, Luka and even after the Kyrie trade, Kyrie Irving coming over, the offensive ratings were always over 120. They were, real, they were really, really good when they were on the court. 123, 125, things like that. The problem was the defense. The defense was even worse. They were like, some of those lineups, maybe they, I think with Luka and Kyrie, they might have been plus three or something like that. So a slight margin of victory or slight and positive net rating. But I mean, the, the defensive numbers were like in the 120s as well. And this was the problem. And this led to the wheels kind of, uh, coming off the rail at the end of the season as as they missed the play-in. Um, last year, of course, was a really competitive year. And so what was the difference between that team last year just having the right construction or having the right injury or getting an extra big man? I don't know, but that takes me to where they are now because all of a sudden Derek Lively's there, right? And now Derek Lively changes things because he gives you that Clint Capella rim-running, screener, vertical option for Luka on offense to play pick and roll, which is exactly what, exactly what he wants. And he fills the defensive need. Grant Williams, big offseason acquisition. He's a good three-point shooter when he's open behind the line as a spot-up guy. And he f- helps you fill in defensively with another big forward, another big, strong defender who can guard different positions and play different roles and things like that. They even start Derek Jones Jr. now. Uh, And I don't know how sustainable that is in certain playoff series because of his outside shooting. He's going to have his pick of all the shots he wants. When you you turn on a Dallas game this year, you will notice that Derek Jones Jr., he can do whatever he wants right before he shoots the basketball. He can sign an autograph and he can wave to the fans and he can change his playlist on his iPod. Is iPod still a thing? Do people still have iPods? Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, Cody's telling I, me I no. I think you're like a decade late with this one. <laughs> I, I, unless you're unless you're like a contract killer in a David Fincher movie, then I think maybe the, the iPod might still be in vogue. So he's turning the Smiths on right before he goes to shoot. Um, oh, I almost give a spoiler away related to Derek Jones Jr.'s <laughs> outside shot, but I'll just skip over that. I don't. We can't spoil that movie, right? It just came no. out. Definitely yeah, not. Okay. We can't. We can't. No spoilers on that movie. But back on track, Derek Jones Jr. is going to be wide open and he's playing for defense. He's playing for that length, that versatility, that rebounding. And so all of a sudden, like you said, Cody, you go look up the Dallas profile and the offense is still humming. We have to talk about Luka Doncic in a second and his outside shot and what's going on there. But now you take a defense that was leaking badly last season they're still not very good overall, but now they're now they're passable. Now they're only like slightly below league average. I think, let me see what their 
number is on our board. They're 24th. 15 teams in the league, they're 20, uh, 30 teams in the league, they're 24th. So they're below average. But when your offense is that good, you just need the defense to tread water. And so that's kind of where my headspace is. Like, they're good, but let's talk about if they're actually legitimately good. I think team construction is both... Uh, <laughs> it's both a positive and a negative for the Mavericks right now. Because we look at the guys that are like... Grant Grant Williams is almost the perfect kind of forward to put next to Luka Doncic, right? That's the kind of guy that's really happy to get physical, play some good defense. He's he's mixed in some good creation a little bit. Like he's not like going to create much, but he's able to dribble in and do a couple of things uh, this year. Josh Green, fantastic defensive player. Also, I think his his passing is much more developed than Grant Williams. But this is another guy that can take advantage of being wide open in the corner. Uh, and then, like you said, Derek Lively. But then also. Dwight Powell, both of these guys are just like terrific rim runners that are ready to just throw down lobs at any time. On a team construction level, this is almost the ideal kind of roster that you would imagine around Luka Doncic, mostly Mm. because this is the kind of roster that you would want to see around LeBron James when he was in his prime, right? Like, just put him around a bunch of, you know, get some 3 and D type of guys, let him create. Kyrie Irvin is like a secondary valve, like, let's just give him the ball, everyone scrambling, and he can kind of dance in and do something that way. But I think the overall question that holds me back with this team is even though it's an ideal build for somebody like Luka Doncic, have we kind of left this kind of team build behind, Ben? Like, is this the kind of team that even though it's going to maximize how good Luka Doncic is and take advantage of just how ridiculous he is at finding all of these seams for the rim runners and finding open shooters, is that going to hold up in the playoffs? Like, is this the kind of thing that can be... schemed against a little bit more than some of the the more modern types of offenses we're seeing that's what's holding up with me right now is I'm a little bit concerned about uh, whether or not this is a more obsolete style of basketball in terms of going for a championship first of all if you had Cody Bingo slipping LeBron James in an episode at 23 minutes and 30 seconds of the timestamp, I mean, you you have won this week. Congratulations. We all saw what you did there. Listen, Cody. I'm waiting like that ESPN paycheck of me just saying his name every time. Like I, I can't ignore the the change sound that goes into my bank account every time he comes up. So it's not even Bingo at this. It's my livelihood, Ben. It is my livelihood to bring up LeBron James. Okay, noted. Well noted. Um, to your other basketball points about. About the Dallas Mavericks the the they're still playing slowly right they're 22nd in offensive pace so it's not like they're grabbing it and driving it down your throat there's still a deliberateness to it there's still a tempo to it but I mean they are the most efficient half-court offense in the league based on how we categorize things on our board uh, at thinkingbasketball.net That's coming from Synergy data that looks at a bunch of different play types and things like that. And as you said, it is built around a lot of this traditional uh, spread pick and roll, this sort of quote unquote heliocentric concept of how to play basketball. The very thing that many people are lambasting James Harden for, you know, in retrospect right now as the Clippers thing goes off the rail. And we're still not allowed to talk about the Clippers yet, right, Cody? Just, just, yeah. Honestly, the whole James Harden of it all makes me closer to want to talk about them. So get get the get get the Clippers warmed up. Like let's turn on the oven and let's toss it in there and let's bring it out at some point when it's piping hot. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, I mean, they played the Clippers. The Mavs played the Clippers the other day. <laughs> and they had this ridiculous 35-4 to run in the middle of the first half. You did not mishear me, by the way. They went on a 35 35- to four run I don't even remember over what time frame it was like seven or eight minutes uh, in the heart of the first half between like the first and the second quarter so on one hand you have the Dallas offense which I'll talk about in a second but on the other hand you had the Clippers defense only scoring four points which uh, the Clippers offense only scoring four points which is a testament to the Mavs defense and the improvement of the Mavs defense that we've talked about. And it's also some of the insanity happening with the Clippers that we'll, we'll get to at another point in time. But Cody, I thought that 35 to four run was a real interesting case study or microcosm. If we could count it against the Clippers, I was thinking as I was watching this, I was like, does this count? Cause it's against the Clippers. But what you, what you saw there wasn't simply Dallas going, give Luca the ball send the big man up to set a screen, spread the court, and everybody remains still, right? It's a little bit more fluid and dynamic because Luka's in better shape this year to start the season. He looks good physically. We'll talk about the shot in a second, but he looks good physically. So you can run actions where you involve three players. You have the big man with the basketball. Luka goes away and gets a screen, and then Luca can be on the move getting that handoff with another screener. Those actions are tricky for defenses sometimes to understand who's going to switch and who's going to guard where. Luca can pass out of those actions, and he is incredibly dangerous as a passer, obviously. Kyrie Irving can be involved in those actions. Kyrie Irving can pass as maybe an extra passer out of those actions, and they can shoot out of those actions. And of course, when you know you have Kyrie Irving, who's a great shooter, Lucas shots much better. And then of course, you can just get into the traditional pick and roll stuff. And so some of that where you're setting screens for Kyrie Irving, you're setting screens for Tim Hardaway, and you're getting him the ball on the move. Lucas moving a little bit more combined with all the different ways the Mavs can use Luca on offense in the pick and roll game. And he just started to like, okay, you're going to play this one coverage. You're going to switch. I'm going to give Ivica Zubac a step back three. You're going to play this other coverage. You're going to double me. Shoot it over to Kyrie Irving. He's going to be wide open for a three because you put two on me. We're going to run pick and roll. You're going to come down the lane. You're going to send that extra help defender over. Bam. I'm going to skip it over to the corner for someone who's got a wide open three or they can attack off a closeout or whatever. He just started to build up the rhythm of how I'm going to systematically take your defense apart 
based on not a single stationary pick and roll set, but staggered screens, you know, moving into handoffs, all this other stuff. And then before you know it, then he's no looking Kawhi Leonard. There's this one play that just blew my brains out. Kawhi Leonard slides over to take away the roll man. So they bring three defenders to to stop two. Luka is turning the corner in this action, picks up the dribble like he's going to throw it out to the man that Kawhi Leonard just left on the wing. And before Kawhi even knows he's going to commit to the wing, throws it to the roller anyway that Kawhi is standing in front of uh, just brilliant basketball. So all of that to me makes me think, yeah, the offense is still not really going to be a huge problem, even though it does have this sort of uh, maybe passe construction to it. So I guess I want to go back and revise a little bit what I was saying, because I didn't mean to imply that like, hey, we're going to give Luca the ball up top and we're going to run some pick and rolls because it is a little bit more complicated than that. However, I do feel like there's a couple of sorts of set plays that I see them run over and over. And just because of Luca's brilliance and just because of Kyrie's, I think he's pretty unstoppable. I don't want to say unstoppable, but he's pretty incredible on a lot of those second side actions when people are scrambling. Because like I said, when he gets into his handling bag, like he's pretty difficult to stay in front of, especially when you're trying to recover to him. But like, you know, the, the Mavericks have been going with this a little bit of a Spain action, a Spain pick and roll action. And they're using Tim Hardaway Jr. as the guy that's the second screener, the guy that's screening the screener. So you have this action where you have one guy that that's diving to the rim, somebody like maybe Derek Lively, right? And then you have Tim Hardaway Jr. popping out, okay? And they kind of change up the angle of these screens depending on exactly how the defense is reacting to it. But when Tim Hardaway Jr. pops out, like he is shooting, I don't know what he's shooting off the top of my head, but his three-point percentage has to be off the charts right now, especially on wide-open looks this season. And so you have like these, not just like here's gravity from one guy sitting here and here's gravity of another guy sitting near the rim. There's like multiple poles of guys moving in these opposite directions. And then you have Luka Doncic moving towards the rim from this angle, and you just have to make all of these decisions at one time. And I feel like I see the Mavericks go to that kind of set like over and over. And just because Luca is so brilliant and Derek Lively's a great rim finisher and Tim Hardaway Jr. can shoot those threes, they get good looks out of it. And they do these kinds of things. Like you said, the stagger screens. They put Tim Hardaway Jr. in a lot of these stagger screens because, again, he's able to pop out another one of these bigs like Powell also can roll to the rim. You have these dueling gravities, right? But it's still one of those things where it's like I see these sets a lot and I feel like if we came down to it in a playoff setting, I don't know, maybe there's nothing you can really do against like the complete brilliance of Luka Doncic, but it still feels a little bit more scripted and singular compared to other guys. Like if you look at the time of possession numbers that you have in the thinkingbasketball.net database, like the second highest time of possession is Jalen Brunson in the league at 47%. And there's only like six guys that have over 40% of time of possession. Uh, Luka Doncic is at 49%. Like, he is knocking on the door of having the ball 50% of the time. And I just feel like when you have someone having the ball that much, that gets a little bit easier to scheme for. Yeah, but I think this also gets us to the Luka of the whole situation, which is very interesting. And mm-hmm. and, and by the way, uh, Tim Hardaway is actually only at 38%. I say, quote-unquote, only wow. at 38% this year because... Kyrie Irving's at 40%. Josh Green is at 40%. Grant Williams is at 50%. The Mavs lead the league in threes. They've made 175 threes in 10 games. Uh, I'm not a math major, but I think that's about 17 and a half a game. And they're shooting 40% as a team. And when, you know, 
it's something when I, yeah, Co- Cody, Cody just uh, had a, an incredible reaction to that because I get the same way. When I see a team shooting 40%, I get all warm and fuzzy thinking about <laughs> Steve Nash and the seven second Suns. And it's not to make a comparison here. We just said this team was slower, but if you actually get great shots and you have good enough shooters around you and Luca himself has improved his shot, then I'm not saying in the playoffs it'll be as easy. I think your point is something I agree with right now in terms of adjustments in the postseason taking away some of these actions. But I'd certainly in the regular season, it's sustainable. And in the playoffs, even if you take it from a 10 down to an 8, I still think the offense is really good. Um, the Luca part of it, Cody, we've teased it long enough. Has he finally improved the shot? Is it, is it happening? Is this is Larry Bird 1984 coming? Is this is like you go from Luca taking a ton of outside shots, shooting in the low 70s from the free throw line in his career. Uh, th- these are his free throw numbers for the first five years of his career: 71 percent, 76 percent, 73 percent, 74 percent, 74 percent. He's just under 80 percent right now, and he's shooting over 40 percent from three on over 10 three point attempts a game. The step back looks good. The mid-range numbers look good. He's over 50% in the mid-range. He's just cooking people in the mid-range with the high release, the the size he's able to use when he's matched up with smaller guards. My big question that I've been waiting for, if the shot is legit, how does that change kind of everything almost about how you have to defend him? Does he become kind of indefensible in the same way that like when Nikola Jokic started turning into Dirk Nowitzki from the outside, you just went like, well, there's no weaknesses anymore. There's no, there's nothing you can do. Statistically, something that like makes me a little bit wary with these numbers is when Luca's on the court with Kyrie. And I think this is one day old. So I think maybe based off yesterday's game, uh, things could be changed a little bit here. But with Kyrie on the court with him, Luka Doncic is shooting 75% true shooting. 75% true shooting, but when he's on the court without Kyrie, it drops down to 55% true shooting. And I think overall, when I was looking at those long mid-range numbers, or I, I think it was long mid-range numbers, he was shooting, like like you said, around 50%. Previous seasons, he wasn't quite that high. Like, I thought it was a significant jump to the point where I'm like, uh, I don't necessarily know if Luka Doncic like, improved this much over the course of one season. So I think there's a little bit of small sample size trickery in terms of like how much the shot has improved. I definitely think his shot has improved. I still don't love the shot selection itself, but the fact that he's able to shoot these percentages while still taking, you know, what I consider to be not great shots a lot of the time. Uh, I, I do think there is some improvement, but I think it's overstated by the numbers right now. Well, well, yeah, let's be clear. There, there is no way that the improvement is this great. This would be like the greatest single shooting improvement <laughs> in the history of the sport because right now, 42% threes on 10 threes a game. Um, no, that that would just be absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. But but if he's 37 or 38% from downtown on this volume and if he's like let's say high mid to high 40s on the long twos as another indicator that that shot is stable, I think that's the kind of shooting upgrade that you're looking for. You're looking to get that free throw percentage into the 80s from the low and mid 70s at and you know if we're looking forward to the postseason, it, I don't. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to put them in the inner circle group. But I do think they're in this 
next group probably. I think they're I think they're good. I think they're good. I still I still can't decide how good. How do you feel about the uh the interplay or the synergy between Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving? Uh it looks fine right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, the challenge with that is who knows what's coming. Does it does it hold up? That's always the question, but it it looks good. Yeah. What do you think? It feels it feels to me that Kyrie's taking a little bit more of a backseat, which is like fine, but part of it is like I don't know if we're squeezing all all of the juice out of this lemon, you know? Like I think we're leaving. Like you have you ever seen those like those memes where it shows like a chicken wing and like all of it's eaten and like somebody's basically like broken it and sucked out the bone marrow too, but then like on the other end of the spectrum, there's still like hunks of chicken on there. Like I feel like we haven't gnawed all the meat off this chicken yet, right? We haven't taken the chicken wing, we haven't taken our sweet honey barbecue, and we haven't. You know, we just haven't gotten it all yet. And that's how I feel between these two. Like, I think there's a nice little, you know, you. there's only been, Ben, as of yesterday, there's only five minutes that the Mavericks played this season without either Luka Doncic or Kyrie Irving on the court, right? So I think a big part of it, too, is like, there's really never a time when both of them are on the bench and they're both good enough that they can buoy that offensive number. But I just don't necessarily see the additive nature of it between the two of them. What... Is that a real meme? What did you just make that up? What's going on? Well, I feel like I'm picturing something where it's like somebody's what? holding up a chicken wing and there's still like a good hunk of chicken on there and they're like, I killed these chicken wings. I don't know what accent that this was. Is, but. This is crazy. Please, someone listening, either in the YouTube comments somewhere, please let us know. Is this an actual meme or is Cody just, is this just some crazy Minnesota TV programming? Is this like late at <laughs> night? Late at night, there's like an advertisement with a guy eating the bone marrow out of a chicken. By the way, how are you cooking your bone marrow in chicken wings? That's That can't be a thing. I've never had bone marrow from a chicken wing. Are you wing. dissing the late night programming of CARE 11 over here in I'm Minnesota? Not, I'm not. Who said I'm dissing it? I, this sounds spectacular. I'm just saying. This is, uh, this is some incredible late night programming. Okay. We, For the record, boneless wings are just fine. Boneless wings are just fine. Carry on. Okay. All right. I, I'm just I'm just curious. Let's use Dallas as a benchmark now. We've okay. we've talked about them for about two hours. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, Dallas Mavericks. Who who are you? Who are you? Are they are they in the same tier? Are they you know where are you in your head in terms of looking toward the long haul of the season? Are you still thinking Milwaukee is a different class of team because they've got multiple superstars and they've got this uh, you know Giannis Antetokounmpo player and <laughs> uh-oh did I break you so I, I feel like there's a lot of podcasts when people talk about the NBA and there's somebody that's always like I was texting some anonymous source from the NBA this is kind of like one of those cases but it wasn't an anonymous source in the NBA I was just texting Kurt the other day Ben Kurt. I was texting Kurt Kurt yeah, is a legend Kurt. around here yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he asked me, he said, on a scale of one to 10, how concerned are you about the Bucks championship odds? And I responded, I'm at an eight right now. Mm. I'm at an eight. Yeah. I don't know from what we've seen so far this season, if I can even put the Bucks in the bubble of title contenders right now. Okay. Okay. What about the Phoenix Suns? This is, this is so fun, Cody. I mean, this is just... We're like three weeks into the NBA season. The NBA Cup is about to... I mean, this is just... This, this is wild. All these super teams are falling apart. North is south. Up is down. 
Can I ask you an embarrassing question as an NBA analyst, something that I should know? Is it embarrassing for me or for you? For me. For me. I, I should know the answer to this, and I don't. I'm not going to Google it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let everyone know that I don't know the answer to this. Okay. All right. I, I would have been more comfortable if you were going to embarrass me, but all right. Oh, I'm oh that's interesting. We need to... We might need to unpack that at the end of the episode. <laughs> we'll do that so, later on at the end of the show. Yeah. We'll do that after the outro. That's yeah. so incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> has Bradley Beal played this year? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bradley Beal has played. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched the Suns in a no, while. No, no, no. It's a fair question because they haven't, I don't think all three of them have been on the court ever together, but oh. they, they keep okay. doing, they keep playing like, um, you know, like a lover's triangle, like like it's Durant and Booker, and then Booker goes out, and then Beal comes in, and it's uh, Booker and Durant. Is can you still are lovers triangle still a thing? Can you still say that? Is do they just it's call like it a, a truple now? <laughs> <laughs> the will they, won't they of the Suns? It's like all right, in season seven, are they ever going to play all three of them? So they they really haven't played. So I guess that's the I thing. I have, so, to, no. I have to sit out with the Suns right now because I just my whole premise is that all three of them should be enough to get you to be good enough. But like I said, I was souring on that notion last time, but I still need to see it. I'm going to be agnostic with the Suns at the moment. Okay, so basically what we're saying is we're putting the Suns in like a special to-be-determined, we-need-more-information category. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, you, you skipped over the Bucks really quickly. Do you agree with me? Like, can you give me a little bit of hope? Our quintessential human delusion, Ben, do you want to give me a little bit of hope here? <sighs> the, the thing is... I just don't know if this is going to be the same team that's on the floor in April. Mm. Um, and the, the entire setup of the team, I don't know if the bench, let's put it that way, I don't know if the bench is going to look the same in April, and I'm still kind of just waiting to see if that stabilizes or if there are big changes coming. I, I don't know, but that's when I watch it, I have my own sort of wait and see with the Bucks, which is I just have no idea if this is going to be the same team. Let's put it this way. I really don't expect Milwaukee to be running Malik Beasley pick and roll heavy offense in April. <laughs> so I don't entirely know how to judge that other than to say if it is what it is at face value, then I'm not sure they're a top five team in the league. And you know we've only talked about like, four or five, six teams in depth so far as candidates for these top teams. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, my, my own personal holding period with Milwaukee. So if we if we directly compare them to somebody like the Mavericks, like I know we spent a long time and I was nitpicking some stuff with their offense, but like I'm not that concerned about the Dallas Mavericks offense. Like when we get to the playoffs, I know what it's going to look like, right? Like I knew, know what a Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving type of offense is going to look like. On the flip side, like I don't trust their defense, Right. Whereas like the Bucks, theoretically, you should be able to hang your hat on their defense. Like that's what they've been able to do the last couple of years. But with, with that being the main thing to hang your hat on, I don't feel confident in their defense right now. I think there are too many holes. There are too many gaps where they can be attacked. And then even if we go to offense for them, that's still looking really gross. And so when you have like both sides of the ball and you're like, I'm not really confident in them playing either one of these at a high level. Like I just, I just can't put you that high. I, I'm not saying I can't switch. Like we're allowed to change opinions. You know, maybe that should happen a little bit more in life sometimes, Ben. Uh, but I would like my opinion to be changed first before I do. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. What about some other teams that, I mean, are we out of teams that are in this fringe category or the rest of the teams just feisty and good? I mean, what, what do you think about a team like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Golden State Warriors. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask oh. you anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I interrupted you. Doc. Yeah, they okay. So um, I'll take the mantle on this one because okay. I feel like they're a team constructed on a knife's edge, mm-hmm. where when it's working, all the concepts are working, all the concepts are clicking, the beautiful flowing movement in the offense, and the, sh- the Steph Curry shootingness of it all. And you have a lot of bodies and depth, six, seven, eight guys that can play. You're putting Gary Payton the second on the court. You're throwing different defensive looks at people. Then you have a team that can be good enough in the playoffs on offense and then possibly could be very good on defense. And that gives you your, your good margin for victory. I just, it's, it's very whimsical to me, Cody. It's, it's a tricky balance to get. Um, specifically, if you just go through from like the perspective of the different players on the roster from night to night, just start with the idea that Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson can struggle. They can be very inconsistent. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is struggling with his shot. If you take away Andrew Wiggins' shot, what does that do to the spacing or really to punishing the way teams defend someone like Steph Curry? We're going to have to talk about what's going on with Steph Curry. I, I don't understand it. I don't how how is this happening? Steph Curry right now, thirty four points per seventy five, on plus twelve percent true shooting. Um, isn't he in like his fifteenth year? What <laughs> what is going on? Have people found the fountain of youth? What is happening? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the the fact that we still have some hope in the Warriors <laughs> is the biggest testament to how nuts Steph Curry is. As a score, as an offensive player, it's it's unbelievable what he's able to do. Yeah, and I think the the double edged sword here is, you know, we we talked about the fact. I think I said that I wouldn't be surprised if they had the best record in the West by the end of the season. Mm. And I'm I'm going to stick with that, right? I still think that I can hold that opinion and not see them as an inner circle or even bubble title contender because I do think a big part of this is that the Chris Paul minutes coming from the bench are a huge way, are a really significant way of buoying their net rating across an 82-game season. But we've seen Chris Paul struggle with injuries, with size, with age, Ben, across the playoffs the last couple of years. A, B, the playoffs, we talked about this, I don't even remember which episode it was, it, it must have been the last couple of months here, but I referenced the fact that in the playoffs, it's actually more valuable to have those minutes when you have your superstars together as being really good, as opposed to spreading them out to the bench. And I don't necessarily know if I have any evidence that like the Chris Paul, Steph Curry starting lineups in the playoffs are going to have any kind of astronomical net rating numbers. So I think those are some of my concerns. Too. Yeah, and, and I'm not even sure that like what you said about the bench buoying the team. I'm not even sure that's accurate in this case because hmm. just in the small sample we've had, 11 games, the Warriors are plus seven per 100 with Chris Paul on the floor. So there so there you go. Okay, they're they're buoying the the uh, bench units when Chris when Steph Curry goes to the bench, but the starting units, Steph Curry, when he's on the court, are being outscored by two points 
per 100. It's not like the starting unit is doing really well and then the bench unit is also holding down the fort or increasing the lead. Like when Draymond Green's on the court right now, again, these are all very small samples, but they're being outscored by four points per 100. So it's to me this thing of, I don't know if Dario Saric is going to be the great fill in the pick and pop spacing bench player defender that someone like Otto Porter Jr. was two years ago. Uh, I don't know if Clay Thompson is not going to be a negative or have problems defensively or shoot you out of games. I don't know what to make of where Andrew Wiggins is as a player. There's still a small team. There's still an old team. I'm not really sure how fast they are as a team and pace and speed and intensity and quickness seems to be something that just slightly every day becomes a little bit more important in the NBA with how sharp and precise some of the actions and the skills are. Um, as an aside, that's another concern I have about the Bucks when they materialize. I just sometimes wonder, like, is the big bruising size of the Bucks has that become passe in the roster construction they have? So, yeah, I don't... I, I It's a tough one for me with Golden State. I have a hard time seeing them sort of run the regular season right now it (laughs) i didn't realize that andrew wiggins was shooting 13 points worse than league average relative true shooting yeah he's struggling but i think chris paul being 12 points worse than league average for true shooting percentage and still having like that positive net rating when he's on the court is is quite the testament to to how he's able to kind of be the captain of the ship when he's out there with the bench but i think overall in terms of like the warriors or the bucks I think I would still actually have the Bucks a little bit higher than them in like a power rankage for for inner circle. Yeah, that makes sense. And just to put some numbers on it, to be clear, uh, Chris Paul this season is 6 of 37 from downtown. That's 16%. (laughs) Andrew Wiggins is 4 of 26. That's 15%. Um, So this is the degree of shooting slump we're in. Obviously, it's going to turn around, but there's a big difference between Wiggins making 32% of his threes and 40% of his threes. So... Any other teams here that – how do you feel about the Knicks? No. No. <laughs> no. We can save them for another time, but I don't think the inner circle talk is, is relevant. No, I don't – no, not inner circle. I'm saying, I'm saying like, I guess I, I'm asking, are we out of fringe teams? Is that the uh, – there's no more. What? I guess I'll say it. I guess I'll say it. You know, Ben, I'll say it. I'll fall from the sword here. Do you really think that there's no chance that the Clippers thing works out? How do you feel about the Cleveland Cavaliers? (laughs) How do you feel about the young Thunder? Uh, I I think the Thunder are still, they're not quite to the, are are we still talking inner circle type stuff? Is that, I I don't think they're a fringe really. I think we're out of, I think, I think we've run out of teams here that can be legitimate fringe kind of, at least in my head where we are. Yeah. What's going on with the Cavaliers? That I don't know about. I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah, I was little... I was a lot higher than them going into the season, and what we're seeing is really not what I was expecting. It, it, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. That there's been some injuries, and they weren't all healthy, and we still have very small samples. And the sample, when you actually look at like the shooting luck and things like that, I don't think it's a disaster. I'll tell you one quick hitter before we wrap up the show that is a disaster. And I mentioned it recently, and um, you made a joke earlier about, you know, going, or maybe I made a joke about saying many wrong things in the preview show. We had this discussion about possible outcomes for teams that could do well in the regular season. 
and the New Orleans Pelicans, you and I disagreed on. Uh, and it's, it's just not good in New Orleans, Cody. It's just, it's, uh, it's not good. It's not, it's not happening. Yeah. Am I, am I wrong? This desire Zion just look like a lot less springy than he did when he was like champion finisher at the rim. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's just, he's just yeah. carrying too much weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, he's such an incredible athlete that he can move the way he moves at his size anyway, but mm-hmm. doesn't have the same burst around the basket. Now, I don't actually think that's like the main thing in New Orleans. I just think that's the thing that, oh, you don't have an MVP level nuclear weapon offensive force to rescue you <laughs> and like carry you to some level of a top four or five seed, depending on how the other pieces fall in place. I think it's everything. I think it's not having Trey Murphy the third. I think it's Zion. I think it's the way Brandon Ingram's playing. I think it's some injuries. I think it's you know, not finding the right lineup balances or uh, a scheme that necessarily really works for what they have there. I'm not saying it's a, a lost cause, but the start, you know, if we want to talk about starts that have gone south, I mean, they ju- I think they started like four and one or four and two, but they did, just did not look good. It did not look good. And when you look at things like shooting luck and opponent quality, not looking good. Whereas the Cavs, at least still, I, I'm not punting the Cavs yet. Okay. Okay. And defensively for the Pelicans, I feel like in terms of Zion and Valanchunas out there together, Zion still kind of has this mentality where I feel like he freestyles sometimes where he's like, and don't get me wrong, Zion makes incredible plays. I can't remember who it was. I think it was the Mavericks. I think it was the Mavericks. Was there? That was a close game, I'm pretty sure. He had a huge clutch block against somebody, chased them down. It was unbelievable. It was like classic looking like what we want out of Zion. So like Zion's still able to muster some of these incredible plays, but he'll still be like, oh, I'm going to go help in the middle of the court. But then like the guy that has to cover for him is Valanchunas on defense. And he's not necessarily the quickest guy that's going to like cover all these mistakes. So I think there's this, there's this tough chain of reaction that just isn't, they're not clicking. The chain is not clicking out there. They're not... They're just not on the same page, it seems like, defensively. And then offensively, like like you said, I just don't love the fit. And I know Valanchunas isn't necessarily, like, the key to their offense or anything. But the fit between, like, Valanchunas, Zion, Brandon Ingram. And then, of course, like, CJ McCollum. I, of course, I wish him the best because I know he's having that uh, lung issues again. So I don't know how, how long he's going to be out there. It's just the kind of construction that I don't, I don't love, Ben. And I don't necessarily know how they get themselves out of that kind of construction. Cody, I'm... C- contractually obligated to ask you this question before we go. Um, would you like to put the Houston Rockets in your fringy, really good team contender bubble tier? I don't know what we're calling any of this stuff. Where, how, how are you? We've talked about a lot of teams. Do you think the Rockets are also a legitimately strong basketball team? They're now six and three. They beat the Nuggets think- the other night. So they did beat the Nuggets. This is so... Okay, this is a weird situation I'm having with the Rockets. I've watched them just a couple of times, and I feel like every time I watch them, it isn't the Rockets that people are talking about. Like, every time I watch them, I'm like, wow, I wish Shangun was, like, better. And then I'll, like, go and watch some highlights and look at some stats, and I'm like, oh, my God, maybe he is better. You know? Like, there's a lot of stuff going on that I feel like I'm just not seeing. I do think defensively, like, they're just not a train wreck last year, and that was one of the things I was looking for this year. Dylan Brooks looks really good and physical. Uh, Fred Van Vliet... He just has the incredible hands when he's going in the pick and roll. So even if somebody's like rolling down to the basket, he can go down and do the Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul swipe and cause some havoc there. His pull-up game, like I just feel like there's a lot of times where their offense is just like, all right, Fred, like here comes the screen. Let's pull up from three and it kind of works out for them. So I, th- I still think there's kind of a 
a mess across the board, but I'm starting to see, like, they're an interesting team. I don't think they're anything beyond just interesting at this point. Should we do most improved player candidates next episode? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I mean... Um, Who are you trying to say? Are you saying they're Rockets? Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a Rocket. Yeah. Okay. You must really think Dylan Brooks' shooting is here to stay, don't you? (laughs) Uh, To support this show, check out patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. Uh, It's the best way to directly support us. Also, of course, now that the season started, you get access to our uh, daily leaderboards for teams and players that we reference throughout the show. We use to research our videos. That's available for our deluxe members. We also have a community. And this weekend, we are doing our next live Q&A. I believe that is Saturday, the 18th of November. Every time I think of a Saturday in November, Cody, I think of Saturday, November 5th, 1955. That's where my brain wants to go that's the Why? that's that's when you go back in time and back to the future saturday november oh. 5th 1955 yeah uh do you have any final parting thoughts before we wrap this one those like the people that come up with the questions for these what you just call them what what is it the call the what is it that's the live the live q a the live q a thank you yeah. the live q a yeah. they're such a fickle little bunch because like if i make fun of them and i'm like oh they're gonna ask ridiculous questions and then they're going to right so i don't i don't want to like bend the, they're like a they're like a, a particle that like you look at them and like sometimes they're a wave and sometimes they're they're not like i i don't know what to do whatever Just ask some questions that are good people uh thanks for thanks for listening to this one all the way through with us and uh of course as always i hope you're having a great day 